0: for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church, Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure to be back with you, uh, to see your progress, uh, to yesterday spend time in the new location, which uh, I'm so thrilled to see. I was uh, taken to look uh, over the fence, as it were, a couple of years ago when it was just a hope, a thought, a wonder, and now to be inside and find what a wonder it is and how magnificently you've worked on it. Uh, Such a joy to be there and to be with your leaders, which was also a huge joy, Uh, just to feel the momentum that's here, even as we've just felt uh, from the notices. So down to earth, so real, uh, such good stuff happening. So it's a great joy uh, to be here, and I'm thrilled to be able to come in on your programme on prayer which we'll look to in a moment, just to say there are a few books on the table on the way out to the coffee and other delights that are there. Um, As you go through on the right hand side there's a table and I just want to commend to you some books, one called God's Lavish Grace, which um, I'm so thrilled to find. It's been translated in a number of languages, I've got a number of letters saying it was life-changing for me. So I just commend that to you, God's Lavish Grace. If you sometimes struggle with, am I doing enough to please God? Is he really accepted me? And understanding what grace has done for us. I just commend uh, that to you. Uh, then um, Wendy's written a book called His Strong Hand. Uh, you may feel I'm not really a reader. Um, that's not my thing. Well, this is an ideal book for such because every chapter is only like two or three pages. And uh, it's written with a view to being on a coffee table or bedside and just little stories of encounters that, uh, that Wendy's had with people and situations where Jesus has so evidently been involved. And uh, it's just a joy to read. I just commend it to you. All sorts of uh, chapters, a daughter's decision, in praise of older women, sisters, wedding anniversaries, notes on worships, uh, daffodils and other smells, rugby for grandmas. I mean, it's just a fun, a fun book. I, I really do commend it, will make you smile, might make you uh, weep a little. It's got some lovely things in it. Uh, then, um, Life Tastes Better is a gospel book. It's just a, uh, an opportunity when you sometimes find you're witnessing to someone and you wish you could just say a bit more, or you want to leave something with them uh, that can carry the message on. Wendy and I Having a pub lunch the other day, and a lady started talking to us, and we had a really great opportunity to witness to her. I just said, "Take this, have a read. Uh, I think it will just lights up a Bible story and introduces you to Jesus. Uh, if you've become a Christian recently, I think it will be helpful to you. Uh, and it's only one pound fifty, so it's less than a birthday card. So you know, you can have two or three in your handbag, ladies, and just whenever you meet someone, hey, that's just to help you to witness, help you uh, to get the message across. Uh, it's there." on the table and then lastly although there are other books there um no well-worn paths this is the story of new frontiers really and i am finding more and more people are asking me but as it's growing and growing and growing i had a guy come to see me this last week who's doing a phd on new frontiers uh so there's a lot of interest that many times people say how did this actually start there's hundreds of churches all over the world now well uh uh, this, is, this is available out there as well. And uh, this, is, this is only uh, £4.99. If you go on Amazon, you'll find it's for £15, uh, some for £19 on Amazon. So there you are, you've got a real bargain. Uh, uh, no Well-Worn Paths tells our story uh, right from the beginning. So just a few books. I always find books are helpful and them being accessible, I hope, serves you. Can I just put those on the... Oh, thanks. Thank you so much. Right, let's turn in the Bibles, please. To, uh, if you have your Bible with you, you might like to turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, and we're looking in uh, chapter 18, towards the end of the chapter. Just remind you of the, of the setting. Uh, it's about Elijah. You know, in the New Testament, James um, says something about prayer. He says the power of prayer. In fact, the Amplified translation says this. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. I love that translation. And then it says, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed and he stopped the heavens. And then he prayed again and it rained. Well, why did he do that? Well, he was a prophet of God to the nation of Israel... And the nation of Israel was meant to be God's people on the planet. God, God was only speaking through this people. He wasn't speaking in Brazil and Australia and Russia. This people were unique. He called them, he rescued them out of Egypt, he manifested his glory to them at Mount Sinai, he gave them his holy law. He said, I brought you to myself on eagle's wings. You're my special treasure. And and God had already promised Abraham through his seed all the families of the earth would be ultimately blessed. So these people are God's light to the world. They are the special people carrying God's purposes in the world. And under David, they became a great kingdom. Under Solomon, they became a phenomenal empire. People came from far and wide to see the majesty of Jerusalem, the wisdom of Solomon, the riches, the glory. This was Israel at its Zenith. God was with them. They were on the course. And then you read the story and it just becomes so sad. And in 58 short years, several kings have come and gone, come and gone. Only 58 years. That's, uh, that's shorter than our queen's reign. In, in 58 years, it's so changed that now it's illegal for them to worship God. They're now... Baal worshippers and Ahab's the king, Jezebel's his wife, and they have destroyed the prophets, they've promoted other values. And you know, some of that you can feel a kind of echo in your heart. In my in my lifetime, in this Queen's reign. Things that you would never have dreamt have changed and changed. Things we're not allowed to do. A school teacher mustn't do that. A nurse mustn't pray that. You must the things you with what? We could always talk about no, you're not allowed to now. Things have changed, changed, changed. And that was the sort of background Elijah came into. And, and he wants to arrest the attention of the nation and call it back to its calling. Come back, who you are. And uh, that's the setting. And so he came to the king and said, it won't rain until I say so. It won't rain. I'm going to bring chaos. It's like us praying, oh God, oh God, wreck the banks. Oh God, oh God, stop the oil flowing. Oh, God, confuse Brexit. And it's like... uh, (laughs) It's like, Oh, God, just bring the people to their knees. That's what he prayed. It's an amazing. It's an agricultural nation. And he prayed it wouldn't rain. It's like, destroy the nation. It's an incredible thing to pray. And uh, we're going to just look at what happened. And we're coming in. We haven't got the whole story of Elijah, which is, of course, such a wonderful story. But I want to particularly look at what happened after, after... he had prayed and fire had fallen from heaven to demonstrate that the Lord, he is God. And the prophets of Baal are not authentic. They're just confusing, they're wrong, and God vindicates his great name. And I imagine a great shout of triumph went up as Elijah is vindicated. And we're just going to read a few verses at the end of 1 Kings 18, where we read from verse 41... Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. But Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He crouched down on the earth, put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked. and said, There's nothing. He said, go back seven times. It came about the seventh time. He said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. He said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down so that the heavy shower doesn't stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy shower. Father, thank you for... The privilege of bringing you our worship gathering in your name thank you for the great truths we've been singing about your faithfulness your commitment to us father your loving kindness well thank you so much for all that you're doing here thank you for the journey we're on with you and father we ask you in the name of jesus please would you be our teacher this morning will you do us measurable good through the word that comes to us that our lives are affected, measurably changed, for your great glory, Father. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Elijah comes to mind when James is writing about prayer. It could have been other Bible characters, it could have been Samuel, it could have been Moses and so on, but he's saying, I want to know about prayer, the, the power of prayer in James chapter 5. And then Elijah comes to mind. Elijah, for instance, he was a man just like us, and he prayed such a phenomenal thing. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. And, and he's wanting to underline that this is something a man prayed. And although Elijah doesn't look like a man like us, you know, he suddenly appears from nowhere. He's taken up into heaven uh, on a whirlwind. You think, wow, this doesn't look like us. Um, but actually, you read about what happened a little later when he gets scared and runs away, and you think, oh yeah, it looks just like us now. He was an ordinary man, and he prayed with great effect. So let's just look at some of the principles that come out from this story. There's a moment of great vindication, cheering crowds, literally fire falling from heaven when he prayed, and then we find this Elijah withdrew from the crowd to pray again. That's right, so the first thing I want us to, to see here that he didn't allow circumstances to dictate his program. He wasn't caught up in the euphoria. He wanted to get alone with God. He wanted to be with God. And in that sense, he's very much like Jesus, who we find in the gospel stories, again and again, he's being sought out, people are pressing, he couldn't be hid. Uh, It's like people are all around him. But you'll find that Jesus, again and again, withdraws to be with his father. And so he won't allow other people to dominate his agenda. He's determined to maintain this experience of being with the Father, praying. Sometimes it says he prayed all night. He prayed early in the morning. He prayed. The disciples woke, uh, and they're all kind of sleeping rough. There's nowhere to lay his head. They're moving around with the Lord Jesus, and I imagine them waking and saying, "Where's Jesus? Oh, he's praying over there." You know, he's he's, he's he will he will sustain uh, this walk with God. He taught it. And he modelled it. So much so that when the apostles uh, took over, as it were, when Jesus had ascended into heaven and they took on responsibility and the church began to grow, you know, there were 3,000, 5,000, and then there some tensions and difficulties because of social justice. And they said, wow, well, this is very important. It's not like we're not interested. This is very important. We must appoint men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But we must give ourselves to prayer and the Word. We must give ourselves to prayer. And so this was the testament of the early church. They were devoted to prayer. That was the description of the early church. They were devoted to the Word. They were devoted to other things. But prayer was one of the things that was so central in their lives together. They devoted themselves to it. They, they, they wouldn't allow... You know, wouldn't say, well, I would do it, but I can't. No, that won't, that's not how it is for Jesus. He made sure. He fought for it. Elijah here, hey, what a time. What a time of excitement. What a time of breakthrough. No, 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 I'm going to go and get alone and be with God. We sometimes have to fight for it. We have to fight for that. And Jesus taught, when you pray, shut the door and be alone with your father. So he taught it and he modelled it. So we need to find how we can do that. Now, beloved, I'm not trying that way. I'm more scared of talking about prayer because it's all like guilt comes down on us. You know, oh dear, prayer, I don't do enough of that. And, uh, and, and really, we're not into legalism. We're not into justifying ourselves. We're celebrating, he's already justified me. Hallelujah. We're into grace. We're into freedom. And we celebrate the wonder of it that God has delivered us as we've been singing from all our guilt, all our shame. And uh, hey, we don't have to pray to keep God happy. We need to pray for our sake. We need to pray because we want to see things happen. We want to pray because it's a mighty weapon that God has given us. It's not to somehow vindicate myself. Hey, I pray a lot. I'm a woman of prayer. I'm a man of prayer. That's not the deal. No, I'm a child of the King, and it's all free because of Jesus. But I can also pray. I can also pray. So please let's not pick up guilt, but let's be inspired to be motivated, to be motivated to pray. So Jesus said, get in the room, shut the door, so you can be with your father. And I find for myself, you know, I can shut the door, but my brain goes out through the window. <laughs> so I find it helpful to have a piece of paper in the MPI and a pen so that, you know, if I suddenly, oh, I should have done, oh, yeah, just write it down, quickly write it down. It's like shutting the door. It's like, okay, I'll deal with that later. Otherwise, you just lost it. And so you've just got to learn, we've got to learn, just to shut out that's what jesus said shut the door and be with your father in secret your father who sees you in secret knows what you need he wants to come and be with us in secret you need to cultivate that to cultivate it when i was at bible college i, I thought how do i i some of us have difficulty i shared a room with the guy and some of us you know you don't have the circumstances i we were we both students together so at the beginning of each term I'd look at his list of pro, his list of lectures. I'd look at mine. I think, "Oh, the room's empty then, it's then, it's then, it's then." So you had to find moments where you could and sometimes we have to. When I used to work in town uh, in, in London, traveling up and down, uh, i found a church building that was empty at lunchtime. So So you just go and find somewhere. work for it, find the place. And it's interesting. It says in, uh, in Acts, I beg your pardon, in Genesis and um, chapter four, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's the first reference to prayer in the Bible. They began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, God's revealed himself through certain names. And names, they're not just like John or Fred or whatever. Names in the Bible convey values, worth, identity. And so, for instance, you know, God says to Abraham... In, it's in the context of a story, and that's how it comes. It's not like a systematic theology, like at the beginning of the Bible, God is this, 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 and this. It's not like that. The Bible's full of wonderful stories. And God reveals himself in relationship to men and women. It's not like a philosophy book. It's like, Abraham's is stuck. Abraham's in a problem. And, and God says to him, I will provide. The Lord will provide. becomes one of the revelations of the name of God. That, well, I can call on that name. He's the Lord who will provide. Hudson Taylor started the whole China mission, China inline mission, on on that. That was his key verse. The Lord will provide. No one had promised him any provision. And that name given to Abraham generations ago held Hudson Taylor, as held many people down through the years. The Lord will provide. It's one of his names. We call upon his name. We find that Hagar has been used by a man. And she's left with a baby. She's on her own. Her life is devastated. She thinks, I'm going to die. So will the baby. It's like, I've just been used and dropped. So of us feel that these days. And then God speaks to her and says, no, no, I see you. And she says, the Lord who sees me. And that goes in the Bible. El Roy, the, the Lord who sees me. And so we begin to call upon this, this revelation of who God is. prayer is not a human invention. It's a response to who God says he is. So God says, this is who I am. So we can call upon him. We can call upon him. There's a man called Edmund Clowney, and he says this, We in America we have a a slang word, handle. What's your handle? It's like, what's your name? And when God gives us a name, it's a handle. So that's who you say you are. And Jesus said this amazing thing. He said, you can call him Father. That's a New Testament revelation. You can call him Father. Imagine, really, Mary and Joseph, maybe hearing Jesus praying somewhere. And did he say Abba? Did he say Abba? I mean, he talk talking to God. He said Abba. I was at Tel Aviv airport once. I saw a man walking across the airport and a little boy running after him, running after him, shouting out, Abba, Abba, Abba. I thought, oh, Father. <laughs> And that's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit comes into us. We've been adopted. We can say Abba. With all the intimacy, all the claim I've got. Like that little boy got a claim on this man. That voice ringing out in the airport. Abba. <gasps> Where are you, son? Father. We come to Father. And we can call on the name. And so, beloved, we need to cultivate this sort of secret life, a place we go to. In the home, really... It'd be great, you know. Do the kids know? Don't trouble Dad now; he's praying. Do they know that? How blessed is the family who knows that? I know Dad's praying at the moment, building our house around Jesus, and they know that. It's not just the public; it's so they know this, he, He's got this secret life. He, where he gets his strength from, coming before the Father, being refusing to let other people dictate your program, fighting for your time in the presence of the Lord. So that's what I see, the first thing I see, he's going to be away from the crowd, he's going to be with God. Second thing I see is this, his prayer is based on promises. It's based on promises. God said, I will send rain. Well, you might say, what's the point of praying then? God's told us what he's going to do. Now, when I first kind of stumbled on the whole doctrine of the sovereignty of god it kind of confused me because before that i'd been stimulated and stirred to try and be a praying man and then i saw god is sovereign he sits in (laughs) the heavens he does what he pleases i thought oh oh my prayer life i didn't know where i was suddenly but it's important to see elijah knew a sovereign god but it led him to pray it led him to pray now, he prayed that it wouldn't rain, initially. says in James, he prayed that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for over three years. Why did he pray that? He could have prayed, Lord, ha, get these people's attention, but he didn't. He prayed specifically, don't let it rain. Why? Why did he pray that? Well, if you look back in Deuteronomy, you'll see it says, when you go into the land, it's a land that God loves it's a land God will smile upon. It will be very fruitful. You'll have milk and honey. You'll have every, everything you you'll, you'll have your rain in the seasons. I'm going to bless this land. And then it says this. But if you go after other gods, and if you serve other gods, I will stop the rain. So Elijah saying, hey, Lord, that's what you said. That's what you said. You said you would stop the rain. So I'm praying, stop the rain. Because that's what God, so we pray, beloved. We're not trying to impose our will on God. We're trying to discover what is a priority with God and in our praying, relate to God on the basis of his sovereignty and pray this thing into existence. So now he's saying, I will send rain. So he goes to Ahab and says, it's going to rain. And having said to Ahab, it's going to rain, he says, well, I better go and pray for this now. He's walking in faith. He says to Ahab, it's going to rain now. You better run for it. But then he starts getting alone with God to pray. And so we're praying within the will of God. It's interesting, one of the verses that uh, we often hear quoted, and people love it, almost kind of cut it out and stick it on the wall. In Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Hallelujah. Cut it out, stick it on the wall. What's the next verse say? The next verse says this, Then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I know my plans for you. Next verse, then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I've got plans for you, but I want you to pray them into being. I want you to engage with me. I want you to learn to take hold of what I'm saying. So you find, for instance, when Jeremiah makes this promise that within 70 years, when they, Israel, having rebelled, are taken out of the land... They're taken away like like Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden. God started a game with this people that they might become a, a people who could reveal his glory through, and they just don't learn the lessons. They keep rebelling. They keep sinning. So like Adam and Eve were thrown out, Israel is thrown out of the land. But they're thrown out with this promise from Jeremiah, this will take 70 years. In 70 years, I'll bring you back. You're going to be out for 70 years. Then you read in the book of Daniel and it says, Daniel, these years later, is reading in the Bible the Holy Scriptures and he says, hey, Jeremiah says 70 years. And he says, and he th- hey, it's 70 years. It's all there in the book of Daniel. It's 70 years are up. And so what does he do? He says, hey, hey, let's have a party. The 70 years are up. He says, no, no, no. He sought the Lord with prayer and fasting 21 days he's praying and fasting and and saying lord you said 70 years and then the angel comes to him it's a wonderful story oh man greatly beloved the lord's with you ever since you set your heart to seek the lord he's heard you and god begins to move politically cyrus is raised up we find Zerubbabel's on the move. Ezra, Nehemiah, they go back and rebuild the city. God begins to move again. So here we have these, these words that God speaks and he's inviting, he's inviting our prayers. So even the father says to the son in Psalm 2, you're my son, today I've begotten you. Ask me, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. The ends of the earth as your possession." It's my great plan. Now ask me for it. Ask me for it. There's a mystery in it, but God's looking for us to ask. Philip Hughes, in his commentary on Corinthians, he says this. Prayer is stressed over and over again in the New Testament as a vital prerequisite for the release and experience of God's power. Yes. A vital prerequisite. Andrew Murray, who's written so helpfully on prayer, says this. Prayer, it's as though the promises are waiting for prayer for their fulfilment. We may and must most confidently expect answers to our prayer. Ask and believe. Ask and believe. D.A. Carson says this, Paul counted on the prayers of the churches to gain for him what might otherwise not be given. He's saying to the church, "Pray for me that an open door. Pray for me for this. Pray for me for that." And Carson, who's a great, great scholar, says he's looking through the prayers of the churches to gain for him what might otherwise not be given. So you'll find that another thing about it is it's very specific. So Jesus even would sometimes a sick person come to him and said, "What do you want? What are you asking of me?" What would you have me do for you? You you almost feel like, can't you see, I'm sick. (laughs) No, no, would you please do this for me? It's almost like, there's something about this relationship, this engagement, this conversation, this request. I I remember reading about Yonggi Cho. When I first left secular work, um, I I started doing door-to-door evangelism. I wasn't employed by anybody. Uh, I was, as they call it, living by faith. It's like the Muppets living with no visible means of support. <laughs> and uh, I, I was there, and, and trusting God. I, I honestly didn't cheat. I had to pray, and had to pray. So I'm reading every book I can to stimulate faith. And I'm reading Yonggi Cho. And Yonggi Cho has got, or has had, the biggest church in the world. Huge, millions, huge church in Seoul, Korea. But he started very small. And uh, he, he says in his book, Prayer, the Key to Revival, which I found one of the most stimulating books on prayer that I've read. Uh, and he says, uh, at the beginning, he's, he's, he's praying, and he said, Lord, I'm not getting my prayers answered. And he said, God seemed to say to him, you're not asking specifically enough. And he said, well, he said, well you know, what would you want? And so he thought, well, he said, I'd like a bicycle. Because um, at the moment, uh, you know, he's tra- having meetings in a tent and... It's early days, and he's cycling. He said, I'd like a bicycle so I could go and visit my, my members. And he said, I, and, I, and I'd like a, te- a desk. Like, uh, some people have, a de- like a desk. And he said, I'd like a, a chair. And I'd like a chair, an office chair, with wheels at the bottom of each leg. It's an for. And he said, amazingly, within a few weeks, he said to some missionary friends of his, said, we're going home now. Uh, I can't take the bicycle. Would you like the bicycle? My son's bicycle. I had the bicycle. He said, I've got my bicycle. And he said, I asked for a mahogany desk. I've got a mahogany desk. And I've even got the chair with the wheels. And I thought, wow, that's pretty exciting. So there's me in my situation, my little uh, door-to-door thingy. And I'm praying for God. Please, Lord, I need resources. Because sometimes it kind of got dry. Sometimes it was okay. Sometimes it was scary. Uh, and I'm praying, Lord, Lord, Lord. And, and I felt God spoke to me and said, ask me, for the number of verses that are in psalm, and I can't remember which psalm it was. It wasn't 119, I'm afraid. <laughs> but it was a good one. And I asked the Lord, please give me that number of pounds that there are verses in that psalm. And within about two weeks, from three different sources, that exact figure came. I thought, whoa. And the kind of excitement when you find God specifically knows God's specifically involved. And I'm sure many of us could stand up and give our testimony. Actually, I had something of that. It may not be money, it may have been all sorts of things, but I specifically asked. And when it happens, you think, Father, you know all about me. It just is so exciting. So this is one of the things, you notice when Jesus tells the story of the friend at midnight who comes asking. He says, give me two loaves. He doesn't say give me bread. Give me two. To, it's very specific, very specific. So let's just see. Uh, this is a prayer that's based on a relationship, based on promises of God. Thirdly, as we work through this, thirdly, he prayed fervently. Right? It says in James, he prayed fervently. There was great power in his prayer. Mattia, in his commentary on James, says, Elijah's prayer carried a mighty punch. He had power in its working. And often when I'm praying, I say, Lord, you said this prayer has, is mighty in, in its power. It's what you said about praying. Lord, I'm asking, and you promised me I have great power in prayer. I'm, I'm looking for something to happen here. Because you promised as great power as we prayed. In prayer we prayed. Carson says this, Pray yourself into prayer. Now, sometimes prayer is, t- prayer is difficult. And so Jesus said, men, always pray and not give up. Pray and not faint, the old King James had. It's like, why does it say that? Well, because giving up is the easiest bit about prayer. We sometimes don't feel like it. But the, the old Puritans used to say, and Carson's quoting from them, pray yourself into prayer. See, when you're not doing well, it's not good necessarily just to stop. I think that's, that will solve it. I won't try. Now, they say, pray yourself into it. Pray. You see, sometimes, if you're anything like me, you, you, you can start to pray, and you're, you don't feel as though you're very engaged. It's like, you know, I got up, and my, my spirit's still lying in bed or something. Come on, soul, I've got up. Where are you? It's like, wake up, oh, soul. But you'll find in the Psalms that's exactly what the psalmist is saying come on soul wake up wake up and and by the mercy of god the holy spirit has been given to us so that he will help us in our weakness the bible says we don't know how to pray as we ought but the spirit helps us and so when we're praying to trust and believe that the holy spirit will begin to help us and sometimes when you're praying you find gradually you gradually can come awake to it it's a bit it's a bit kind of going through the motions at the beginning sometimes but you're gradually finding you're waking to it you're waking to it and sometimes you find that hey that's the holy spirit begins to kind of kick in and and we begin to pray in the spirit And, and paul says we pray with all the energy that he mightily inspires within us we suddenly find there's an energy it says praying in the spirit now praying in the spirit that's praying with the help that god gives us and he promises to give us so we can find suddenly or gradually that hey i'm beginning i I didn't think i cared this much you begin you feel stirred you feel like even the compassion of jesus is kind of digging in you're praying maybe for someone or a church or a situation and you suddenly find gosh, I'm, I'm really very stirred about this. I, 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 feel, I feel kind of engaged with it, praying in the Spirit. Now also Paul talks about in Corinthians, he says we pray with the understanding or we pray with the Spirit. Now in that passage, we haven't got time to get there now, but in that passage he's talking about praying in tongues. We, sometimes we pray in the Spirit, He's with the Spirit rather. So, he's, And he contrasts it with praying with the understanding. So that is praying in tongues, which, which we can also do. But praying at all, all times in the Spirit, that is when I'm praying in my own native language, but sometimes this kind of energy kicks in. So praying in the Spirit is an umbrella over it all. But sometimes it's praying in tongues, often it's just praying in my language, uh, I, but I find this energy coming. And I want to encourage us to look for that. And it says in the Bible, Jacob wrestled with the angel. He said, I'm not going to let you go. And that's pretty strong stuff. When a man says to God, I'm not going to let you go. He says to the angel, I'll wrestle with you. And then I love the thing I love perhaps most is the example of Moses where you get in Exodus 32 where Moses has gone up to the mountain, he's meeting with God, and down in the valley they're making a golden calf. God's just brought them out. Of slavery, hundreds of years of slavery, and they're free, and wow, this is wonderful. And they're waiting for Moses, and he's been up there for some time. They say, oh, I don't happen this Moses. Let's make a golden calf, and they start worshiping it." And God says to Moses, "Go down at once, for your people, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They are an obstinate people." And God, Moses turns around to God and says, no, they're your people whom you brought out of the land. And then God says to Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. I'll start again with you. You can be the new Abraham. You can be the, I'll make a new nation out of you. And Moses says, no. That's incredible. It's a wonderful story of prayer. And then you get this incredible verse. This is what's captured my attention more recently. He says, he says verse 10... Exodus 32, 10. God says to Moses, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and I might destroy them. Imagine. God says, I'm going to do this. Moses says, no, no. And God says, let me alone. Get off my back. And Moses says, no, I won't. That's amazing. That's a man. Yeah. Saying to God, no, I'm not going to let you. And he prevails. He prevails. God loves it. God Hears him. And this is the power of prayer, beloved. When we think of the situation in our nation, we think of what Elijah was living through. Have we lost our way completely? And God's raised up a lovely church here. One of our greatest callings. Pray. Come on, let's believe God. Let's believe God. Let's see it. Your people. P.T. Forsyth said this. He's a theologian of a previous generation. He says this. Lose the importunity of prayer. Lose the real conflict of will and will. Lose the habit of wrestling and the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God and friendly talk. And precious as that is, yet you tend to lose the reality of prayer in the end. That's a striking statement. Because some of you might say to me, Terry, I don't do that going in the room and shut the door. I don't have time for that. I just talk to God all the time. You know, in the supermarket, driving the car, I just talk to God all the time. And he says here, precious as that is. See, what I read out to you, you're just walking with God, in friendly talk, precious as that is. He doesn't say, oh, that's rubbish. Not at all. That's wonderful. Wonderful to talk to God all the time. Praying all kinds of prayer. All kinds of prayer. But, here, Forsyth is saying, if we lose, we, if we don't know anything about this sense of battling through, then in the end we lose out. Because we're invited. We're invited to pray. We're invited to lay hold of God. To, and sometimes we get into battle situations. Where we can't, I, know, I mean, we will have stories like this. You probably have. I know when we were uh, in the church in Brighton, and um, we, we'd set our heart on... To, uh, A a warehouse in the centre of town, and we were told, um, just informally, "Yeah, that'll be fine. You'll be able to buy that." And, um, And we thought, "Wow, that's great!" So we told the church, we took up a great offering, which itself was a prayer thing. And then, and then we put our formal application in, and and we were told by the council formally in reply, "No, you can't have it. Not a chance." But I mean, we, we but were kind of one step forward. We've already said to the church, we're going for it. We've taken up an offering. No, you can't have it. And the way we learned was on television. And so our people, we didn't even have a nice church meeting where we could say, no, sorry, folks. No, no, it's on television. The council has given 100% refusal. In fact, they even put me in front of the camera, put a mic in my face. So what do you say now, Mr. Virgo? And I thank God a little bubble of faith came up in my heart and said, I believe we'll still have it. And then we prayed. Boy, did we pray. (laughs) And we were told this. We said, we'll make an appeal. They said, listen, if it was 60%, 40%, it's worth making an appeal. If it's 70-30, it's 80-20, listen, this is 100% refusal. Don't bother to appeal. That's what they told us. While we prayed. I mean, did we pray? We prayed and prayed and prayed. We put in our appeal. We wrote to a Mr. Mumford, I still remember his name, from 20 years ago. <laughs> I never met the man, but we wrote our appeal. And did Mr. Mumford get prayed for? He got very prayed for. And he reversed the whole thing. And we got our bill. And not only did we get what we asked for, we got things we didn't expect to get. Even the VAT thing. Oh, it was amazing, amazing. Beloved, we fought in prayer. Yeah. We could have said, oh, well, we missed that then. But we learned to pray. And then we had to raise the funds. We had to go for big offerings again and again. Can we believe for it? And learning to pray together is such an adventure. And learning where faith is growing in the meeting is such an adventure. So we'd be saying three times a year, can we believe God? Are we through? Are we believing for it? We'll take the offering tomorrow. Do we believe we're going to hit it? We have our Saturday prayer meetings. Say, look, tomorrow, do it, do it. And we finally did it again and again. And so prayer began to become a, a strength within the house. We, lo- we need to learn, we develop spiritual kind of muscle and, and learn. OK? And Arthur Wallace says this, "Any claim to a baptism in the Holy Spirit which leaves our prayer lives unaffected, must be at least, at best, a superficial work. Yeah. The Spirit comes to help us, help us. And then last of all um, I've overlapping a bit from what i've just said he prayed with importunity what does that mean he wouldn't let go he prayed with importunity he he i in the, if you read the story it says quite seven he said to his uh, servant go and look seven times and if you read it like it says you could almost miss it so i don't suppose you noticed but i paused go and look seven times in other words He prayed. He got his face on the ground. He's praying for rain. And he sends this young guy to go and look from the mountain over the Mediterranean. And the boy goes and looks and says, it's a pure blue sky, like it tends to be in the summer in the Mediterranean. And he comes back and says, no, not a sign. So he prays again, prays again. Go and look again. And he went and looked again. Blue sky, came back. No, nothing, nothing. Pray, pray, pray. Look again. I mean, it's incredible. After five times, forget it. It's not happening. Seven time, I can see a cloud like a man's hand. Yeah, there it comes. Here it comes. That, that. Beginnings. Beginnings. I'd like to believe that, you know, I find that spring will come through. <laughs> We're we'll beginning to get a few daffodils already kicking through our garden. And I think, my poor nation. our poor nation. And there are hundreds of churches out there now. We've had promises, beloved, that God's going to set fire to many more bonfires. Yes. I don't know, Jean Darnell's a name you may not remember. She passed away last week, but she had a vision many, many years ago that there were bonfires right across this nation and that they would come alive. And a lady called Ginny Bergen, some of you may know that name, she's had identical thing and was recently in Canada, who no one, a person there, didn't even know her, said to her, God says to you, those signal bonfires will soon be lit. And uh, when I left work in the early 60s, I was praying for revival. Arthur Wallace had written, In the Day of Thy Power. I'm praying revival, let revival come. In the 60s. If revival had come in the 60s, the church was so formal, a bit cold. I don't know if we'd have been able to do anything about it. But now, I mean, there are 300 new Francius churches plus multi sites. There's new wine churches, Holy Trinity Print churches, Salt and Light churches, uh, Stuart Bell churches, Dave Smith. Church. I mean, it's just, hey, there's hundreds of new churches that have grown up in the last two or three decades. And they're like bonfires. Oh, God, come and set them alive. Come and make your church come alive. We've got things we can pray about with real faith. He prayed with importunity. He wouldn't let go. See, the danger of us is that we we pray and then we give up. D.A. Carson says we're like the little boy who runs up to the front door, pushes the bell, and then runs away. (laughs) Now you've got to stay there. Stay there. Jesus told two parables. and uh, they're, They're quite strange parables, really. One is the friend at midnight that we spoke of. And so it's the story. So Jesus told the story. Someone comes and has everything to eat. No, I don't have anything to eat, but I know somebody. So he goes to his friend at midnight, give me three loaves, or two two or three loaves. (laughs) Give me those loaves. And he said, "Uh, go away, go away. No, give me loaves. Give me these loaves. Clear off. Go away. Give me these loaves. We're in bed. Go away. Give me these loaves. And in the end, it says, he hears them, not because he's a friend, but because of his shameful insistence. <laughs> he won't give up. And so he gives him what he asked for. Jesus told that parable. And then he told a second parable, like two witnesses, a second parable which said, there's this, this lady, this poor woman, and she goes to the judge and she says, give me justice. And he says, go away. Give me justice. Clear off. Give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. And in the end, it says in the parable... He says, give her justice, she's gonna bruise me. That's what it literally means. She's gonna bruise me. She's kinda of after me. Now Jesus told those two parables. Now our problem is this, we say, Oh, I don't think of God like that. I think of God like a father. Well, yeah, amen. But Jesus told us these two parables. So it's no good for you and me saying, Oh, I don't think of God like that. Well, you have to get right then, because Jesus said you, know, you need to feel the weight of those parables. It doesn't stop him being a wonderful father, like the father of the prodigal, looking for us, longing for our coming. He's a wonderful father, but Jesus told us those two parables. And we mustn't just brush them aside and say, so Oh, I don't think of God like that. Jesus told us. So Jesus is looking for us to be persistent. And Elijah is just stunning. In his he won't let go, even seven times. It's incredible. Andrew Murray, I keep quoting him, he's so helpful on prayer. Oh. What a deep heavenly mystery this is of persevering prayer. The God who has promised, who longs, whose fixed purpose is to give the blessing, holds it back. He trains us in the school of answer delayed to find out how our perseverance really does prevail. What the mighty power is that we can wield in heaven if we do but set ourselves to do it. Again, Yonggi Cho. He said, in prayer, the Christian enters into a priestly function of providing an earthly base for God's heavenly interests. He says, it's, in this age, it's like a battleground. And God has a group in the foreign land able to bring the influence of the age to come into this age. That's the way the world experiences the dominion of Christ in this present world. It's through the exercising of the church's authority in prayer. Let me illustrate from the Bible. He's saying there's an earthly power, there's an earthly group, the church. Jesus said this, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. I'm in charge, go. So they go, 3,000 are saved, 5,000 are saved, Then the authorities, the Sanhedrin, say, don't you dare preach again in that name. You're in trouble if you do. You stop now. What happens? You get one of the most wonderful prayer meetings in the book of Acts, Acts 4. So they come back to God, Acts 4. And they say, oh, sovereign Lord. And the Greek word is despotis. It's the word from which we get our word despot. We tend to think of a despot as a pretty ugly power, but it just means awesome power. Oh, sovereign Lord, as in most of our Bibles. Oh, sovereign Lord. Lord, listen to what they say. Now, you know the scene. Now, stretch forth your hand to heal. Give us power, authority. And it says the glory of God fell, the place shook, and they're filled with the spirit and boldness, and on they go. So what Cho is saying is this he's the lord how does the world know that he says god has another power on the earth the church and it's through that church that the sovereignty of god is demonstrated through their power to pray and that's what happened in the book of acts he says i have a authority he says no you haven't stopped now so they come to him come on lord stretch forth your hand and he does he does. My, my devotional reading this morning, I've just come up to Acts 12. Peter's in prison and they just killed James and said, you're, you're dying tomorrow. They said, the church gathered and prayed fervently. What happens? Angel opens the prison. It's incredible. God engaged with us as they prayed fervently and Peter gets out of prison. So God has given us these wonderful promises, these wonderful examples we encourage us to, to pray. And, 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 yeah, praying alone, carving out some disciplines, it's not to do with legalism, it's not to do with being justified. No, Jesus did that for us on the cross. Hallelujah. We're justified freely as a gift. We don't have to do this stuff to justify ourselves. He's the Lord. If I sleep through my quiet time, hallelujah, Jesus is still Lord and still loves me. Hallelujah. I'm righteous as a gift. It's wonderful so wonderful, so releasing, but I want to pray, I want to, I want to engage in this battle for our nation and the world, but God's given us this mighty, mighty weapon, he's given it to us, he's encouraging us to use it, he's saying, come on, come and pray, come and believe me for it, and, and some of us might, you might benefit, you might, if you, you might say, well, I don't know how to pray really, Maybe there's a, you know, if I may pay it, put it like you might be a young, you know, a young housewife or something, you say, I don't know how to pray. You, you think of that older lady in the church, think, I know she's a praying woman. I'm going to ask her, can I pop in sometimes, please? Can I just pray with you some mornings? Or well, some of us who have been in the faith a bit longer, we might say to them, Would you like to pray if you can sometimes? Well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Well, we've got a few weeks, we're going to go through it. But we can help one another. Praying in twos and threes is so exciting. I learned to pray by just a guy doing that. He so said, come to my home any time. It just changed my life. It taught me to pray, really. The fellowship, so helpful. We can read the Bible. I hope that's helpful. Coming alongside someone can be so helpful. Just have a few prayer partners. Hey, let's together, get together occasionally when we can. And pray. God's inviting us. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and his beautiful life. He lived the life of a man in the power of the Spirit and he prayed. Lord, we like to be like him. We, we want to be like Jesus. And we know he prayed a lot. We just ask you to teach us about prayer, please, Father. I pray you'll keep blessing this church. Bless this series as they go week by week looking at prayer together. And as they pray together, as they pray individually, pray in their homes, Mm -hmm. as families, all kinds of settings, in twos and threes. Father, oh Lord, hear our cry. Let Ashford know the living God is around. As we get ready to have a second sight, Lord, just give us ever-increasing impact across this whole neighbourhood for your glory and for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen when we so now we're deciding um, whether to come to ashford and 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 start the church god spoke to us with that nike symbol just do it and uh, after all we've heard this morning our recommendation to you is just do it these next eight weeks could be transformational for you personally if you're married with your family for the church it'll be transformational just let's just do it